0: You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 214 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And returning, it's Andy. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, did you miss us on the last
1: podcast, Andy? Of course, I always miss you guys. No, that sounds bad. I I, <laughs> I did I, I did miss the last episode. Yes, yeah. And gr- I'm glad to be back.
2: There you go. It's good <laughs> to have you back, Andy.
1: Yeah,
0: especially considering, and I'm I'm gonna you know spoiler alert. I'm gonna go to you for your hobby update first, Andy. You've you've been at an event recently as well, so we're gonna be uh quizzing you on that shortly um on this week's episode though uh matt we've got quite an exciting um
2: kind of main segment haven't we we have me and jay were invited down to the Hoarfrost reach which is coincidentally near the trafford center <laughs> would you believe it? um to check out the brand new monster hunter world iceborne the board game by steamforge games so yeah we'll be having a little bit of a chat about that it was uh spoilers really really cool uh <laughs> pretty <but> intended <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I say that's our main segment. We actually kind of have two this week because we're also going to be talking about a certain battle tone, which is uh, just well, it's not the, the battle tone on its own is not going to be but the, the the battle box has, and that's the the Seraphon, which I believe Jay, um you've been scribing the uh,
3: review for. Yeah, we will. Uh, so by the time this goes out, the review will be up on the spruce and Brews website to have a, a, a read through, um, and I think we'll we'll talk a little bit about it later on on the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. One we've been looking forward to, I think. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: definitely. Uh, and with all sort of events and Warhammer Fest and things uh, on the horizon, um, for this week's top three, we're going to be looking back at events and tournaments that we've really enjoyed. And um, We'll also be reading out some of the community top three choices towards the end of the show as well. Now, Andy, I, I gave you preparation for this. I'm going to come to you first for your hobby update. What have you been up to this past couple of weeks?
1: So over the last few weeks I have been doing something that I promised myself I wouldn't do and that's painting stuff for events. <laughs> um, definitely not at the last minute. Um, <laughs> so I went to um, the Warhammer Throne Schools Chaos Unleashed um, event up at Warhammer World uh, which was an Age of Sigmar open play event and I decided to take my blades of corn down for it because despite the fact that I painted them back in lockdown back in 2020, um, I've never played a game with them. Um, and with the release of the, the newest battle term for blades of corn, I figured now is the perfect opportunity. Um, but I just needed a couple more units just to flush the army out and get it to a, a standard that I was happy to take it to an event with. Um, so I, painted up a bloodmaster a herald corn that i got for christmas um which is really really nice model and then i bought myself a bloodfurster my first first can can't emphasize that enough first bloodfurster um bloodfurster uh, um which i built as the unfettered fury um which is awesome like absolutely awesome um, And I took that down to the, like I said, the Chaos Unleashed Throne of Skulls, which is an open play event, which I've not been to an open play event since I think probably like 2016. Um, back when Age Sigma was really in its infancy still. And the event was, it was, it was very casual. It was just what I needed really. Like I've been to a lot of match play events, been a lot of uh, competitive events. And sometimes it's nice just to not worry too much about winning your games. Um, And that was kind of my um, mind. Were
3: there any custom, like, you know, would it be in an open play? Were there any, like, um, bespoke battle plans or rules that they use during the event to differentiate from regular match play?
1: Yeah. So in the core rules, there's an open play battle pack, and that's got its sort of own unique missions, which are very, simple in comparison to like the match play ones but it's also got its own twists so there's one twist in one of the games where in your hero phase you could pick a unit on the board and it would heal d3 wounds so kind of like an improved heroic recovery um and then each player would um roll a d6 for a ruse and some of the ruses were you know like bring a unit that's been destroyed back at half strength um and other ones were like um as long as your general's alive you don't take battle shark and there was another one where if your general died your entire army got plus one to wound until the end of the turn um so there was it, there were there were there was enough to differentiate it from match play But the nice thing about it was it was the core rules with this open play battle pack and kind of the the generic core rules that were in your battle tone Mm -hmm. but it was it was very relaxed and it was it was only 1500 points as well um which again is a nice change because you can't quite get all those super powerful units at 1500 points um i mean the nice thing about the event was um they sent us all the missions and the twists and all that sort of stuff um ahead of time so you know you could sort of look at it and think oh there's one where you know, monsters are quite good, or I can do a fun, silly monster list for for that mission or whatever. Um but yeah, the the event itself um was absolutely amazing. Again, the the Warhammer World staff are are absolutely fantastic. Um the quality of the armies was great and all five of my opponents were absolutely phenomenal, which was which was really, really good. Um and I did a sort like a little challenge um, which was basically to keep track of all the unspent blood tie points I accumulated over a weekend. And depending on how many I ended with would depend on what I could buy. Um, and in the end, I ended with, I think it was 37 unspent blood tie points, um, which allowed me to buy um free units of either heroes, elite units or battle lines. So I ended up buying the Exalted Deathbringer, an aspiring Deathbringer and a box of Wrathmongers. mongers. Um, so yeah, I'm going to hopefully try and get them painted up relatively soon and add them to the, to the blades of, uh, of corn. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Um, and like I said, painted up the blood first, uh, the herald for it. Um, and then the only other thing that I've been doing is painting up some of the chaos legionnaires for war cry. Um, mm-hmm. because as we'll probably mention on the next podcast, um, I'm going to be going into the Warcry event at Warhammer Fest on the Sunday, so yeah, I need to get the um, the Chaos Legionnaires finished off for that. So yeah, that that's been me. A lot of lot of Age of Sigma.
0: Excellent you've been very busy very jealous that you got to go to an event at the weekend feels like it's been a while since I've been to one if I'm sure it wasn't that long ago Um great stuff Well, we'll jump to me next because um, obviously your hobby update was quite focused on uh, your blades of corn that you've been um, painting and using and I actually had a game of Warhammer against Matt only the yeah. other day and his uh blades of corn list do you want to do you want to tell everybody about the fluffy list you bought for our friendly game of warhammer Age it Single was Man, a like?
2: very very fluffy list it was the fluffiest of lists that ever did fluff um oh. so i i like bloodthirsters and i cannot lie and i wanted to fit in as many as i could in the army so i had um all of them i had uh, a <laughs> scar brand and then one of each bloodthirster um a blood master two units of blood letters and a unit of flesh hounds i think was the list so Mm. (coughs) sorry so yeah minimal troops but uh who needs bodies when you've got bloodthirsters and uh, apparently four bloodthirsters hits like a truck
0: yeah, absolutely does. So uh, the, the reason we're having a game is because uh, i would recently reviewed the the Soul Blight Battle Time. Really, really enjoyed it. It's kind of got me focused on getting a Soulblight army going. So when um, we decided to have a bit of a game, so I could try the book out, take a few different things, you know, try and make sure I'm going to be painting the, you know, the kind of stuff that I, I'm going to want to use in a game. Um, and it it was a brilliant game. I was really worried going into it, at, you know, facing down four blood first is one of them being scarbrand that i was just going to get tabled like turn one turn two um but actually that that didn't happen um
2: and it ended up being a very close game i think there was only two points in it matt yeah it, there was there was two points in it at the end of the game and i think it's your best performing game of um of age of yeah. sigma you know we, we both scored very very highly i think you dropped a couple of points in maybe the second and third battle round yeah but i think i struggled not many to many get... points you dropped
0: yeah, it, it was. Um, I, I struggled to get because it, it was an interesting battle plan where you didn't have objective markers. Instead, each table quarter was an objective, uh, and I struggled to get all of them. Um, obviously, Matt having all his blood firsts they were quite quick in turn one. You took the first turn and, and, and grabbed them and. Um we kind of wrestled for control, but I never quite got all of them. So I was dropping the odd couple of points. But I did manage to get all my battle tactics, which is
2: pretty rare. You did, battle tactic. And, and towards the end of the game, if I'd have fluffed like the last battle tactic, you, I think it would have been a draw. Yeah, it was it was just so close. So yeah, I was really really impressed. Um yeah. Scarbrand, I think uh, there's not many things that are have done different i mean, maybe put your Blood Knights more at the front and and, and your, your 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 vampire on zombie dragon. I think you were a little bit defensive sometimes with your elite units when you can just throw them into the fray. Um, yeah. And the other thing, feed Scarbrand stuff because if you don't fight him every round he just on a one plus does eight mortal wounds to you. But if you throw him Mental. a unit of rubbish, that only happens on a four plus. So it's statistically yeah. you're better just charging with something you don't care yeah. about.
0: Um, I know the soul blind book has come in for some criticism since it's release, but I actually think it's, um, it's a marked improvement on the last one. Not many big changes, just lots of subtle little changes. And uh, one of the biggest things is how easy it is to sort of summon stuff back now. That is if you roll decent dice, which I, I did struggle with on some units. You did. And
2: that, 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 really being so close as well with some of your poor rolls, if you'd got some of those summons off, I would have been on the back yeah. foot then. Um, yeah. I mean, and obviously that was your first game with the new book as well. Yeah. Uh, is there yeah. anything that you've like learned after that game that you maybe definitely play or changes to the list that you maybe make?
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I would have, like you said, used my Blood Knights a bit more offensively. They did get a charge after the, I, w- I really wanted to make sure they got the charge and they did, but. Because of sort of positioning, I didn't get the full use out of a big unit of ten. Only a couple of them could get into combat. And even though just those couple did quite a bit of damage, well nearly killed your bloodthirster. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I'd just got a couple more into combat with better positioning, um that they could have really done some damage. Um and also I I took a massive unit of sixty zombies, which um in hindsight is is I think too many. Um I didn't I didn't come close to losing the unit, did I? I no. think forty would have been much better, backed up by a corpse cart and and all the other buffs I could give them. Um, but it was it was a great game. I can't wait for another game of the Soul Blight. Uh, I just need to get some some units painted now. Um, maybe retire some of my old legions in the gash and replace them with the new um, Skelly Bobs. Um, yeah. but it was a great game. It was an absolutely brilliant game. Um so aside from that, um I, I mean I actually that leading into that, I built the contents of Curse City, which I I'd not done. I'd done all the heroes, but I've not got around to doing all the zombies and stuff. So I, I got all those done ready for the game. Um I can talk about something that I put up on the website last week. Um so I painted I built and painted the new name is escaping me. Cerberus Heavy uh, Destroyer for the Horus Heresy. Oh, that, that is a great kit. It's basically a Spartan, but with three massive lasers attached to the front and it an didn't. alternative top to suit those big three cannons. Um brilliant tank. Loved painting it. Um painted Dark Angels, of course, going my Iron Wing army. Um really enjoyed that. I also built uh and so far I've managed to to dry brush the Sicarian uh Venator, which is um basically like the baby version of the Cerberus. Instead of having three neutron lasers on it, it's only got the one. Um but again, really nice tank to build, um, and uh, I'm really enjoying painting it. I hope to see that painted by the um well maybe even before this podcast comes out actually, so keep an eye on Twitter. Mm. Um so that was a lot of fun. Uh and I think that's um there's some other stuff I c I can't talk about, unfortunately, at the moment. Um I've been sort of carrying on with my stormcast from the Stormbringer magazine series, hoping to get my Vindictors finished in the coming few days. Uh and I think that is um
3: me. So shall we move over to, to you next, Jay? What what have you been up to? Uh yeah, so I'm trying to think now from from the last podcast. But I think the first thing I can say is I've managed to finish the first of my Blood Angels Contemptors
0: um
3: for our Horace Hossi doubles event that me and Matt are going to. Yeah. Um so that's a um uh, it's the one of the the, the awesome I mean Contemptors are ace, contempters with jump packs are probably even better. Uh, <laughs> and that at least that's what I'm hoping. Um So I've got a couple of units left to paint for uh, the Blood Angels, but I've made a good start on them, I think. So I've got one, two, three, four units nearly painted because I've got a unit of Crimson Paladins, which are almost done on my desk as well. Uh, That'll be the fourth unit. And then I've just got... uh, So you you talked about the Venator, Dave, the Sikara and Venator, I think, with the Neutron Laser. Uh, So I've got one of them on pre-order. So I'm hoping that arrives this weekend and I can get that built and painted alongside one more unit of Tactical Marines and a Leviathan Dreadnought. And then the army is good to go to the event in July then and then nice. uh, i'll add the other 1500 points in the second half of the year sanguineus and some Dawnbreakers and things like that um and then uh, i mean the main event um which we can talk about now is the seraphon army set so we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast um games workshop um uh very very um uh grateful to go they sent Spruce and Brews a copy to, to sort of um Build up and review, uh, as well as a copy of the battle tome. So, I've been pouring over the battle tome. We've got the review up on the website, and I've been putting together all of the um, the, the new kits. So, the Raptodon uh, Chargers and Hunters, um, the new Saurus Warriors, which are so nice, um, and the Slan Mage Priest on the sort of floating palaquin. Um, and I've had a good time building them. So, the Saurus Warriors, are. I mean, this is. Everything a man player uh, will, will really like. They're really really nice sculpts. The the new Soros warriors, really really big and sort of chunky armor plates over them. Lots of cool details on the on the weapons and on on the on the bodies and things like that. A really really nice kit to put together as well. Um, and you can leave the shields um, separate on the sprue so that you can get them painted up separately, which is a really yeah, really nice. I, I it's of, they're
2: all together on the sprue as well to make that even easier.
3: Yeah, nice quality of life sort of thing there. Um the Source Warriors are really, really cool. And they've got a nice war scroll as well in the new battle tome. So I think you'll see a lot of those on the battlefield. Um, the Raptodons, really, really nice models to put together. Um, skinks can be a bit fiddly, I think, because they're so small. Um, but really didn't have a problem putting them together. Um, and they're they're sort of, um, they look a bit meaner than the old sort of skinks as well. Very similar. They won't stand out too much against your old skinks. So they do fit in quite nicely. Um, but they do look really, really cool. And then the Raptodons themselves. Um, they go together really, really nicely and, and um, lots of sort of different poses and things in the box as well. So a really, really nice looking unit when they're all together um, and sort of in the unit uh, deployed on the battlefield. The Slan Mage Priest, <laughs> a bit bit might with this model. So the model itself is absolutely gorgeous. And what really surprised me when I was putting this model together was the amount of sort of flexibility you get in the build. There's lots of like elements of the base, elements of his like throne that you can just swap out. So you, you could probably make about, I don't know, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but maybe three or four distinct looking That's slam cool. models just That's from cool. that single kit. Yeah, there's different head options for the slam. There's different um, arm options for the slam. You've got different places you can put the skink attendants. Um, there's like all vines and things. So I don't know if, if people have built Lord Croak, they'll sort of know what the sort of palaquin looks like. It's in that sort of style, but it is bigger than Lord Croke's pal- palaquin, which is a bit strange. Um, and um, y- you can put like the vines and things in different places. You can have different creatures hanging off of it. Um, and-, and even to some of the sort of like panels on the throne itself, you can swap out and, and change around. Mm-hmm. So i really, really impressed with the customizability of, of of the model. However, it was, I did find it very tricky to build because a lot of the bits are like sections of rock and vine, and it's very difficult to figure out from the instructions which way round it's supposed to go, where it's supposed to attach. Um, And and it's not... I mean, you build the throne in so many different sort of stages, and it's not until you're pretty much complete with the throne that it comes together as a single piece. It feels a bit... like it's going to fall apart at any minute as you're building it. Um, Now, maybe, obviously we don't get too much time to get these models built. We like to try and get them built and and, and, and some paint on them ready for you guys to sort of uh, read on, the, on when they go up for pre-order, which means that we do tend to try and, you know, we, we don't have a lot of time to take our time building them. So I wonder whether there are some possibilities to use more sub-assemblies on the SLAN model. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure, but I, I'll have to sort of come back with updated feedback when I get around to painting this one um i don't think i'm going to struggle too much but yeah perhaps a sub-assembly might be better for this model uh, for all you guys out there that pick it up
2: i guess from a real world thing you guys haven't got to try and get them built by a certain date have you so yeah it's normally possible to do it in sub-assemblies isn't it but it's that's not always the the prettiest for photos for the website no um so i think that's all my hobby updates
0: Excellent. That just leaves one member of the team to uh, to go to you next. And that is, of course,
2: yourself, Matt. What have oh, you been up to? I, I've got a relatively quick one because uh, I've been a bit off the grid this last week or two. But um, a couple of really cool things. So first of all, I had the absolute joy of painting up Mr. Lion L. Johnson. The, the Primark of the Dark Angels and oh boy what a kit that is. So I'm going to throw out an apology for anyone who, who didn't manage to get it. I, I, I know it, it sucks. Um, hopefully I reckon in the next couple of weeks he'll be up for pre-order by himself so I can't imagine Games Workshop leaving it too long with him not on the shelves um and if if you do get the opportunity pick one up because it is an incredible model so this one um (laughs) in contrast to to jay who was building like you know a a fair size you know army of models from the seraphon box i was just painting like one model for the last three weeks so i i did have a little bit more time to put it in sub assemblies and, and and you know get the airbrush out and stuff and um i think it's one of those kits where You don't want to rush it. You you do want to leave it in as many sub-assemblies as you can. One really cool touch is that all of the, um, the heads are swappable. You could probably put a little magnet in there. In the end, I just stuck the the the, the hooded head because I thought that looked the coolest one that kind of went with the scheme that I went for. But um, if you do want to make the head swappable, you can absolutely do that. The only caveat being, if you want to give him the head with the, uh, for want of a better word, the big ears, you know what I mean? The big red like plumage coming out of his helmet. Uh, you have to leave the iron halo off the back of his backpack, which is a bit of a shame because I think that really nicely like frames the head with the halo around it. Uh, it's like a remote well, I mean, kind of like Primark thing, gen- isn't
3: it? Generally you can only give um, characters one artifact or one relic, so it's either the iron halo or the nice helmet. You can't this is it, exactly yeah, can't you you give choose. them two things, yeah.
2: Um so so yeah, so it really, really nice model. Uh, subassembly wise, I built up the base. I built up his like body with the cloak attached. Um ju- you could probably leave the cloak separate, but you're gonna it's gonna be a little bit more fiddly and you could if you keep the the torso off the base you can get the underside of the cloak which is normally the hard bit anyway um the backpack a separate piece his shield his sword and his head all separate and then once you've painted all that stick it all together it's a lot easier than trying to paint it all in one go so uh yeah we've got a video up for that which has been uh pretty popular and we, we've not done a um ninth edition video just because let's face it, it's not going to be too long until we're playing 10th edition, and I think we'll probably do a big showpiece battle report maybe featuring Angron and the Lion guys I think that would be pretty fun to do for 10th edition Yeah, it would be um, So yes, that's what I've been working on p- most of the last three weeks, really um, But I did manage to pick up something that I've been after for ages and ages and ages the other day off eBay and that is the limited edition Catachunga Kernel which was an exclusive that went to stores um, over COVID because stores weren't opening or when they they, they kind of re-released after the lockdown. Games Workshop sent every single store that sells Games Workshop products um, a couple of these super limited Katachin kernels. Basically, it it looks like the dude from Predator. It's so cool. (laughs) Um, And I've wanted one forever. And I said, if I ever get one of them, I'm doing a Katachin army but they've all been like silly money on ebay and i managed to get one for a reasonable price uh, i actually sent it to you guys like earlier in the week kind of jokingly going oh that's a good price and by the end of the week it was only a few pound more so i was quite lucky there mm. um so yeah i i i, have, I am gonna do a small catechern force i think for oh, uh 10th nice. edition just I, i've ordered the the basically all the different characters so the uh the gunnery sergeant parker is it dave you are yep. the president parker uh, yeah guy with his
0: uh, with his with his um i think it's payback his heavy bolter payback
2: yeah I've got ironhand strachan he's on the way and um slime arbo so even oh, if yes. i paint up them plus the um sergeant ripper jackson and the colonel i might just do that as a little display piece of those five different characters and then if in the future we get some new um catching infantry that's definitely turning into an army that's that's a potential golden demon for next year that little campaign little squad um so yeah it's, it's been pretty fun other than that there's lots of exciting stuff on the horizon that i think we'll probably be able to talk about next time the podcast's on so uh yeah stay tuned excellent stuff
0: Well, that brings our hobby updates to a close. We've got lots to talk about on this week's episode. So I'm going to take a quick pause and come back with all of the latest news. So, Matt, what do we have in this week's news?
2: So we've got quite a few interesting things this week that... um have got various members of the team rather excited for the future. Um, so first of all, for Warhammer the Horus Heresy, the Imperialis Militia Army List was released. And this was a bit of a surprise that it's basically an entire free army list for uh, games of the Horus Heresy. Now, obviously we got the, the book that came out recently with all the kind of like Imperium stuff in there. And as part of that was the Solar Exilia. But, but the Solar Exilia is a very kind of like specific force. Now, Dave, you've, you've got an uh, Astra Militarum army. And if I, I told you you could use the majority of that army in games of Horus Heresy, and maybe even take it as a little allied force alongside, a, you know, your partially completed Dark Angels army, I'm sure you'd leap at the chance.
0: I absolutely would. I absolutely would.
2: Or if perhaps, Jay, you wanted to make a force of Squats, using the Necromunda models and some of the old trikes and stuff and make an entire squat army. Oh, or yeah. Andy, if you wanted to make an entire army of ogrins. All of these things or beastmen all of these things are possible with the with the militia list. Basically it's a it's a it's a generic kind of Astra militar for wants of a better word list. Which then has stuff like your Lost in the Damned elements in there, you've got psychers in there You've got the option of giving various upgrades to your units to make them into things like squats or beastmen or ogrins. And really, really cool. Now, whether they'll be competitive, I don't know. Their their vehicles are a kind of made of um, paper, aren't okay? they? <laughs> so yeah, the, rate, I think the
3: rules called, is it third line, yeah. So these are these are you get the you get the obviously the well equipped, well maintained, cutting edge vehicles on the front line. Then you get the ones in reserve, which they've got a bit of dust on them, but they're pretty serviceable. And then you have got the the tanks that, you know, oh hang on, there's like tarpaulin over the back of them and crates and boxes and things at the back of the warehouse. Um, so, and they've got yeah. some cool rules, have not they, to reflect how sort of ramshackle they are?
2: Yeah, so because yeah, but but a lot of this is just the forces that've been drafted for the for the various wars, like going on during the heresy, and to represent how poorly constructed they are, a glance counts as a penetrating hit on them. Yeah. yeah. So while you can do an entire mechanized army, it's probably not going to hang around very long. But it's dirt cheap, so you can field loads of tanks. Mm. So, yeah, it's really, really fun. I'm going to be putting together... Well, I've already written at 1,500 points my current 40k Death Corps of Krieg comes to, which is yeah. amazing. And this is a backup for... We're, we're, me and Jay are playing in the doubles in a couple of months, and I have got about a million jet bikes on order. But, uh, but jet bikes have been very, very, very popular, and they've been out of stock for a very long time. So hopefully in the next few weeks I'll get them. If not, I can just take the Deathcore or Krieg and field them alongside Jay's Blood Angels. And that'll be quite a cool force, because I'll have lots of cheap troops that I can go on objectives and mortar things off the board while Jay actually gets business done as the Blood Angels. <laughs> uh, but... I kind of want There's a, a lot of cool stuff you can do in here. Obviously, you've got the Traitor Guard that are currently out. You've got the Beastmen that are on the way for Kill Team. You can make a really nice um, kind of Lost in the Damned Force using those. Um, there's rules to represent just melee ogrins. So you could use um, Minotaur models and have them wading through your troops and smashing things up. Take a few um, Malkador tanks and... Even the um, the Ridge Hauler from Necromunda can be taken as a transport. So I can just envision Ridge Haulers with a big cage on the back filled with beast men that then just pour out onto the battlefield. So lots of it kind of converters dream and, and fun stuff. And like I say, if you got a guard army, you can use them. So really looking forward to this one. In the summer, apparently the demon list drops as well, so... It was it was due a little while ago, and I think they reworked it because things weren't entirely balanced, and I think that was an issue with the demons in the first edition of Heresy. So I'd, as annoying as it is, I'd rather them get it right than put out a really broken list that has to yeah. be eroded. Yeah. So, so that's a positive. And then, um, yeah, presumably both of these lists will be then in the same hardback book i'm guessing that kind of the last half of the year now but really nice that they've released the list for free isn't it for, to let people start playing with them now so yeah i'm um, really impressed by that any any of you guys tempted to do anything with this or am i the, the super niche person who's taking um basically a knife to a gunfight? no no i'm I'm
0: definitely tempted to field some some guard as uh as militia um also, I'm very tempted to 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 get a unit together. In in that um, document, you can build a unit of um, of doggos with uh, handlers. Uh, you absolutely, can, yeah. need to get hold of some plastic dog models and uh, have a have a, a unit of those. What
2: well, what you could do though, and it suggests through here that obviously this this is the militia and PDFs of various armies. You could have a. Um, Say um, an army using majority Orlok models and have like their cyber cybermassifs yeah. and stuff. Yeah,
3: yeah. There's, really there's a either. there's a paragraph isn't it, at the beginning of the uh, of the rules which sort of explains that there's a massive range of citadel miniatures that you can use to represent forces from the uh, militia list. So yeah, I didn't even think about using some of the Necromunda models.
2: Yeah, there's some in the article. I think actually in the PDF there's some nice pictures of an, a traitor force and it uses door bodies painted like greens and browns and then they use the kind of Gene Steeler cult's heads with the, the goggles on and it gives you a really nice kind of like low-tech uh, traitor force. So yeah, I think there's going to be some really cool stuff on the on the way for them. Um, I'm sure there'll be a, some of them at our uh, tournament that we're going to, Jay, as well. Um,
1: yes.
2: Now, if you prefer your battles uh, ranked up in the old world, then there's been some some pretty massive news for the old world this week um so the 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 the, the citadel painting team the heavy metal team have been working on armies for the new the new game and a lot of people were were fairly certain that there'd be some new kits and some old kits and they're going to be on square bases of some description but we didn't really know the details and i think in a single article um (laughs) they basically made the entire old world community go like crazy with excitement because we've had a lot of things confirmed so first of all yes there will be new kits yes there will be some new plastics yes there will be some new resins however the majority of the old citadel miniatures range for warhammer fantasy will be coming back alongside the game that is massive Uh, i know a lot of people will read that okay so Eventually, eventually, everything will probably get new kits and replaced. But some people were worrying a little bit that they have to play like silly scalper prices to get hold of some of the rarer stuff. Where now, you know, wait a couple of months, you might be able to walk into your local games workshop and buy a Necro Sphinx of all things. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's such a good thing, and I think a lot of people have have, have jumped on. the kind of like. Old world hype because of this. There's little hints of some new kits as well. So it mentions the Bretonians. While they've got the, the classic knights on horses using the old plastic kit that will be re-released, there's also going to be Bretonian Knights on Foot, which is presumably a new kit. Now at the mm. time we don't know if that's gonna be plastic or resin, but if I was a gambling man and there's been rumors of the launch box being Bretonians versus Tomb Kings, and we've seen a lot of like renders of Bretonian Tomb King stuff. I'd envision a box, similar price point to the Horus Heresy one. So I think it was £180 with a big hardback rule book in there with all the the kind of the rules in there. And then in that box, you have maybe um, a new plastic unit of knights on foot. You have a new plastic bone giant for the Tomb Kings. You get a new plastic... um, Lich Priest maybe, and a new plastic knight on horse for your, for your general, for your Bretonians. You then pad that with a load of really old kits that are probably like pence to Games Workshop because those kits are so old now. And essentially you're in a horrid situation where you've got a big box with majority of two armies in there with a few new kits to kind of tempt the people who have maybe got an existing Bretonian or a Khemri force. And if the box was a make of something like that, even if it was just four new kits in there... I think that'd fly off the shelves, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think there's a, enough interest in the old world. They could they um, could do that, and it'd be very popular.
2: And and the Bretonians and the Tomb Kings go for silly money on eBay at the minute as well. Mm. So even though they're really old kits, it, it'd be ace. So they also mentioned base sizes. Um, this has been something that's been a big question mark, and has pretty much put the pause on all um, kind of like people making old world armies. But they have confirmed. Any model that was on a 20mm base is now on a 25mm base. And most, but not all, 25mm bases are being replaced with new size bases. So, again, I assume they'll be going for something like 32mm, because that would mean that, uh, Jay, you've been building the new Source Warriors, they're on 32mm bases. If, in the old world, they're on 32mm squares, that means you could just get a movement tray and put those round-based Seraphon into the movement tray, taking up the same amount of space without having to do any messy rebasing or playing with magnets or anything. Yeah. Mm. Which makes life a lot easier. It also suggests that some of the weird stuff that we've seen recently, like we've got, we've got new, new skeletons, new zombies, new new source warriors, um, they'll all be able to be used in the old world. Amazing. But we didn't get any new Skaven and we didn't get any new Beastmen. Could they perhaps be getting new Old world plastic kits that are then compatible in both systems.
0: Oh, Oh. that that would be amazing. I'm not I'm not holding much hope, but that would be amazing if that happens.
2: Because the the way they do it is, uh, one of our questions was, well, how are they going to support like I don't know how many armies. Let's say sixteen armies all in one go. Well, they don't have to. They've got all the old kits that they can bring back for them. They they do this big launch box, which is like it can be a bit of a stopgap release, and then in the following summer you do a big You know, Warhammer Army style release of here's the Kislev Army and it's all new kits, combination of plastic kits and Forge World stuff. And then they can slowly bring out random kits. The same way in Heresy, every couple of months a random tank comes out. It could be, okay, this month here's the new Skaven Clan Rats kit. Mm. And they just slowly replace the existing bits. They don't have to do it all in one wave and i think the focus will be the new stuff so you know um cafe and the kislevs but it means that there's there's loads of kits that they can replace further down the line you know we could see maybe at launch say a a uh, forge world collector series green knight for example Mm. there's lots of cool stuff that they can do so i am super super excited for this and i know uh jay you certainly are too
3: oh I, i'm really really yeah this is it, it, it's been amazing this week for the old world news i've i have ordered um, um twenty-five mil uh slot bases they've arrived today actually it's so i've got <laughs> i've got like 40 of the old metal iron breakers about 40 of the old metal long beards i've got goblin hewers anvils of doom dwarf slayers i've got loads of dwarfs that i'm going to be putting onto the square bases um They've just been in a box upstairs for years, so I can't wait to to get that army uh, sort of ready for the edit for the, for the new game.
2: Yeah, now now previously we were like, mm, it's probably coming out next summer, isn't it? But the more stuff that we've heard is making me think. You know what? This might not be too far off at all. The the, the big teller to me is the fact that we've got painted armies in in an article. That is a bit early for a year off, surely. Um, and then there's something else that we'll, we'll, we'll segue to next that puts a bit more emphasis on this might be coming a lot sooner than we originally thought. So, um, this coming weekend, as you're listening to this podcast, is Warhammer Fest 2023. And by all accounts, it's going to be the biggest Warhammer Fest that Games Workshop have done. I think they've taken a lot of inspiration from the big American conventions to have a massive three day long event with tournaments and, and all sorts going on um it's it's going to be really really cool we're going to be there so if you see us say hi um but one of the big surprises was we haven't just got a preview show we have got three days of preview shows <laughs> i'm going to be knackered by the tuesday so on the on the saturday at 9 a.m so get in and dash to the uh the the kind of um auditorium the, the auditorium for it which uh, the only downside is that it's limited seating so i hope that they they show these reveals in like the main hall maybe on the screens if you can't quite fit in the auditorium but yeah. let's face it all these images will be on Warcom straight after anyway and yes yeah, so the big 40k reveal is there where they'll be showing off the contents of the new launch box so that's super exciting i can't wait to see that me and andy will be dashing there as soon as we get into the uh, the venue and then at noon on the saturday we've got reveals for warhammer underworld's war cry and interestingly the middle earth strategy battle game so it's been a bit quiet on the middle earth front so i'm interested to see you know what what we could get in that you know could we have some like numenor or something backing off on the uh the old world hype maybe you know the old world uh could we have There's some numenor power. Could we have some Numenor coming back off the Rings of Power hype, perhaps? Uh, And then for Warcry, obviously, we we haven't seen the last box for this edition yet. So maybe we'll see that. And then, I guess, new warbands for for Warhammer Underworlds. Uh, On the Sunday at noon, there's a big Warhammer Age of Sigmar uh, preview show. So the Seraphon will be out by then. So I reckon we'll see the big reveal for the Cities of Sigmar slash Dawnbringer Crusades slash whatever you want to call them. Plus, presumably, Flesh Eater Courts, maybe. And um, the next uh, season of Warbook. So that'd be really cool. But then the big one is 2pm on Sunday. We've got a, a, a double header for Warhammer the Horus Heresy and Warhammer the Old World. Now... I wonder if we'll see the first brand new models for the old world at this show. And if it isn't too far away, could we maybe see a tease of what we'll get in that
1: box? Of the box, yeah. So that would be amazing.
2: This year is the 40th anniversary of Warhammer. I I share a birthday with Warhammer. It's quite cool. It's quite fitting. Um, But I think they've always aimed to get this out on the 40th anniversary. And I think we've been thrown a little bit by Horus Heresy being last summer because outside Heresy, all of the the, the kind of Forge World releases, so Titanicus, Blood Bowl, um, Necromunda, they always tend to come out like November time. Mm-hmm. So I and, and based on the leaks that we saw years and years back, I think Heresy was always meant to come out um not last year, but the year before November with the big summer release actually being the new contrast paints. So I don't think it's out of the question that the old world comes out this like fall. You know, they've got multiple factories churning out stuff now. We've seen a bit of a bottleneck in production. Could that be because they are frantically making old world kits and forty K kits to get ready for these two big launches this year? I don't know what do you guys think?
1: I hope so. I really do hope so. I mean all the old world articles that they've been bringing out have, have just been getting me so hyped up that I, if it was coming out this year this sort of like november sort of time <laughs> i better start saving now <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> what about you Jay? do you think that's a possibility that we'll see that 2023
3: i i do think i do yeah and I, I think um you i mean when did we first get the announcement that old world was coming was it it was two pre-covid
2: years ago? It, no no it's it like four or five three or four years now It was pre-covid
3: yeah and i I, t- I think as well that that you know from a marketing point of view to release it in the 40th um a uh, sort of year of, of games I, 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 warhammer i think that'd be really really fitting um there's plenty of this year left and the fact that they're now showing off brand new sort of studio armies that they're painting up ready um they told people now you know, the base size is going to be 25 mil. So there will be a lot of people. I mean, I've been out, I've bought 100 square bases. So that's given people plenty of time to get Armies rebase ready for a, for a launch at yeah. the end of the year. And
2: even down to saying all those old kits will be able to buy from Games Workshop again so people don't have to spend silly money scalping them as well.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of people like who have been in the hobby... For uh, you know, can remember the different editions of the Warhammer Fantasy bag. They're going to have armies like my brother, for example. You know, he's still got his scaven, he's still got his um, Orcs and uh, Night Goblins and things back back on square bases in boxes that he put away when Warhammer Fantasy sort of was discontinued. Um, and I reckon there'll be lots of people around the world in that same sort of situation where uh, uh, just off the news last week. They'll be going up into the attic and bringing these boxes down and, and dusting the models off. I mean, I think there's actually like a, there is quite a lot, a big community out there that still play games of Warhammer Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, older editions of games, you don't have to go on Facebook and social media and things like that to, to see that. So it's still a popular gaming system. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I really, really hope it just comes here. And if, if that's the case, then my Christmas list this year is just going to be High Elves. All the high elves. <laughs> it's
2: the funny thing though. It's like me and Andy. Andy was around early. We were looking at the Elf Collector Catalog J with all oh, the yeah. classic models, and it's like half of these models will be available to buy this year potentially, which is just yeah. blows my mind. This is the thing from from a new plastic point of view. It, it it can be a relatively light release because if majority of that box presumably is old kits. Much like the battle boxes, if they put out, it could just have two new heroes in it and the rest is hold kits. And that's a fairly light, like, resource release for them. And then next year, you then do the big Kislev release and they have a launch box or something.
3: Yeah. And I, I do think as well, whether in, in that sort of situation as well, and it'll be interesting to see how they release the army books, whether they do a, a Horus Heresy thing where you buy, like, tombs of different armies uh, and it's all done at the same time you know, like every Space Marine Legion got their rules at day one yeah. whether they do something with 10th edition where we're being told that all of the rules for all the armies will be released day one if they do that I really think that Warhammer Old World could really benefit from that sort of uh, trickle release of units for various armies throughout the course of a year rather yeah. than a big wave of releases for Empire a big wave in a battle um, army book release for bretonia. you know just Here's an Empire Great Sword unit that we've built alongside an Orcs and Goblin Black Orc unit. It's coming out at the same time.
2: Yeah, I I honestly think we'll get that. Now, whether we get free rules or you have to buy the rules, but they're in a big book like with the Heresy, like I don't know. They have three or four volumes containing all the collated kind of rules for everything, or just have a free download. You know, we've seen it for Heresy, like the the um, the uh, militia course. rule being released for free, but then the intent is bring out campaign books like the Arthur Heresy. So you have a if the box is Bretonians versus Tomb Kings, you have a Bretonian versus Tomb King campaign book that comes out six months a year later with a host of new kits, and then they visit different kind of battles throughout the history and release some new kits with them and that'd be a really nice way of doing it especially since they've confirmed all these old kits are back as well because i know that was a worry for a lot of people so yeah really really excited to see what we see at this uh this reveal seminar And then on the monday uh, we've got kill team so um the the first like that the whole gallow dark um arc will be over by the time that that kind of comes around and a lot of people have been asking well where do we go from here do we go back to various battlefields that we're fighting over like in the octarius kind of season or do we have something themed like gallo dark and one of the things that i we were chatting about it in the car weren't we jay is obviously we know there's a big tyranid vibe coming for next edition so do you have a lot of alien themed scenery because this is a nice way of kind of releasing it so you said maybe like you know the stages of a tyranny infestation or one of the ideas i had is have this essentially like the gnarwood um war cry box and you have this as a new way of putting out new jungle scenery for 40k and you have new gene stealers in the first box versus new catachins or something
0: you know, what I would like to see, <clears throat> I would like to see after, you know, with um, the Gallo Dark sort of saga coming to an end, I would like them to release a almost like a campaign book, which has uh, Gallo Dark and standard missions in there, maybe with um, a structure of linking those games together. But importantly, getting uh, allowing people to have the rules and battle plans for using Gallo Dark scenery, because I know a lot of that is locked in the the big boxes, which some people struggle to get. Well, um, all,
2: all all those rules in the big boxes are available in the kill team box that are available separately
0: all right cool well maybe ignore me there but i would still like some sort of structured campaign that kind of links the gallo dark and normal scenery rules um but i also really like the idea that you've just said about the um, alien scenery and kind of building a collection of tyranny kind of scenery ready for the new edition
2: yeah, just thinking that from a sprue budget, we maybe got a bit ahead ourselves when the, when the Galadoc stuff came out and maybe thought different walls and stuff, but it'll probably be the same core scenery in all the boxes with different upgrades. So that's why I'm thinking like Alien Jungle, you know, the old kind of second edition style cactuses and stuff, <laughs> stuff like that they can put in there. Then they can have a few scenery pieces that represent a, um, Caterchon Man Mantrapper or something, some weird jungle plant that does something in the battle. Mm-hmm. As I will say, I might be completely wrong and it's still in the gallow dart, but um, yeah, I, I think any excuse to put on new scenery ranges, it makes sense to tie it to Kill Team, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's super exciting. We'll all be there. And I think the, the, the theme of next week's show will be Warhammer Fest. So yeah, obviously there's been a lot of stuff about 40k and we're not going to cover that this week because there's been lots of little bits and I think that'll be better covered in the next show once we know like the, the full picture on 40k but mm-hmm. i think it's going to be a very very exciting event
0: excellent stuff yeah check out walk on for some of those little sneaky 10th edition um bits and bobs i will say i think my, the most exciting thing that we saw this week was um marines being able to use different transports and not being lo- locked behind that primaris keyword um yeah i think it's the new edition is shaping up to be really awesome can't wait for Wammerfest. Mm. excellent right i think it's time to go into our first main segment on this week's podcast as matt and jay take us into the realms of monster hunter be right back So this past week, Matt and Jay were invited down to the Chill Factory in Manchester for a special board game reveal. It was for Monster Hunter World. I spawn the board game, which is being made by Steam Forged
2: Games. Uh, Matt, do you want to take it from there? How, how how did the day go? So, yeah, it was really cool to get invited to this. We've not done any, like, cool press events like this. And obviously, with it being there, monster hunter world iceborne set in the frozen wastes i think the um the steam Forge guys wanted to have somewhere uh suitably cool to show <laughs> off their new board game and yeah we we headed up to um but bar some minor navigational issues in but the war how do you even um, get into
3: the car park
2: <laughs> how do you get into the car park we we eventually turned up to um to the to super secret location and uh a really cool kind of like hunting lodge vibe to the venue wasn't there and yeah, then we had the like, like a little balcony you could see the like the ski slope and everything
3: yeah it was cool we, there was the, like the fire pit in the middle of the sort of uh in the in the sort of room wasn't there? a <laughs> the yeah, fake fire pit.
2: so um so yeah so so us and a, f- a few other creators went down there um two thin coats were in attendance and, and and had some some models to paint up as well, which was really, really fun. And we got to learn a little bit about the Monster Hunter World Iceborne board game. So Monster Hunter World was kickstarted uh, a while ago and I think it's just about arriving with people now and it's a a cooperative kind of boss battler isn't it Jay? Essentially you know, you'll, you'll team up to kill various monsters get all the kind of gear and gubbins and, and materials off those monsters to craft better gear so you can hunt bigger monsters. If you've played Monster Hunter before, that's essentially the gameplay loop, and this translates to the board game. Um, now, at first, we thought this might be like an expansion to the Monster Hunter World board game, but actually, no, because they had so many kind of cool ideas and kind of new stuff they wanted to add. It's actually a standalone board game. That is, uh, the Kickstarter is launching on the 18th of May, and there's going to be all sorts of cool stuff that you can get. Um, Yeah, one of the things that is interesting, though, if you are an existing Monster Hunter World kind of player, is that the monsters from Iceborne can be used in your games of monster hunter world and vice versa so can the hunters as well so there's quite a lot of cross comp- compatibility Um the campaigns aren't compatible with each other just because there's quite a few different things going on and one of the big things they showed us for the campaign was the um the oh, what, what's it called it's like the adventure step the, the tracking step at the start yeah of the game, like the actually.
3: narrative bit yeah where you sort of um it's almost like a choose your own adventure type. Um, Story sort of mechanic, isn't
2: it? Yeah, so 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 you'll you'll get a bit of narrative and get some choices. So the 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 example that we all got to kind of like play out in the room is that like you're hunting this particular monster, and do you do you carry on the trail or you hear a roar in the distance? So you go and do you go and investigate that? And then depending on what you choose, the story branches. It could be that okay, you go carrying on through the track, and a completely different monster comes up. Do you like freeze to uh, to hope that it, it it avoids you and wanders past, or you just run for your life? And you'll have a couple of these that will play out. Essentially, given each kind of mission that you play multiple different paths it can take, and then there's different rewards that then get unlocked in the game based on what you've picked. And even the down to certain cards getting shuffled into the time deck during the game. I th- I thought that was a really clever feature. Did you, Jay? Um, yeah because i think that
3: from a from a board game perspective you've got the replayability built in there uh, and you've got the um, sort of unpredictability as well which is great
2: yeah so so yeah so we we had this this presentation learn about the game Um we're going to do a full uh write up on the site i think that'll go up just before the kickstarter where we're kind of going a bit more detail in in what you get in the kickstarter and all the different tiers and stuff uh we got, got to look at the miniatures which are gorgeous now they weren't the, the kind of the finalized ones they were like you know 3d prints that they brought to show us what they look like and and some of them including the big boss is actually going to be like 30 percent bigger so if you check out the article over to bruise and bruise we've got some pictures of them and i'm sure dave will stick them in the uh the, the podcast notes for this one um but yeah but then we again got to play the actual game itself and um you, neither of us have played monster hunter world the board game before i've played the monster hunter video games i don't know if you have jake uh, yeah i've I watched you
3: know my uh it. my yeah my um my uh two two oldest boys they love monster hunter so i watch them play it so i, I sort of know what you do but i've not really played it a lot myself
2: yeah i think we we, we sat down um andy was our, our third party member and we were taken through like a full game of, of monster hunter now I guess a little caveat here of our, our gameplay playing skills. This game was meant to represent one kind of mid campaign because they could just show the first scenario, but it's very basic and just learning the rules. So they wanted to to play through a mid campaign game. So you got a full feel of all the different mechanics. Obviously, it was going to be a little bit harder, maybe than it would be when you're playing through it, because obviously one of the core features of Monster Hunter is killing things to get better gear to go kill bigger things where we just had like an assortment of of stuff and obviously we never played it before but um yeah we had a nice mix of characters so i was a sword and board big kind of tanky character from a damage point of view i didn't deal much damage but i was quite defensive well you seemed quite the opposite of that jay didn't you
3: yeah i was um my hunter was armed with a a great sword um so you had like like you say each of the different weapons had a different damage deck, so my um, the sort of damage variability on my great sword was a lot higher than, well not variability, so that the the maximum amount of damage I could do with my great sword was a lot more than you with your bow um your um, what did you have twin, sword, twin and shield, sword, and sword and shield sword and and shield yeah um but you you had a, a lot more sort of defensive abilities didn't you that you could make mm. so
2: yeah and then the, the third party and he, he had a bow so he had a lot of ranged abilities he had a lot of ways of putting like poison and stuff on the monster so if you think you're kind of like if you're not playing monster Hunter, you think you're, you're role-playing game archetypes i was the tank you were the like dps weren't you that was yeah. the kind of vibe they were going for um and so we, we we played the mission there's a few things that are that are i guess a little bit different to other games in the genre firstly the monsters are absolutely brutal and very much feel like fighting a boss battle in a video game. Um, they 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 go first, and there's not always control of of how many people can react between them. If you think if you think an actual game that you were playing on the computer, various players might get a chance to get a few hits before the monster does something again. And that's represented through a deck of cards. On the back of it, you've got a rough idea of what the monster's going to do. It might go for the closest person. It might go for the furthest person. But that's not always guaranteed. We were chatting to Jamie, the um, the product owner. And he said that they wanted to have the element of why you've got an idea of what might be going on you've not always got full control and there can be curveballs and stuff so you flip over the card and it'll have some various actions on there it might move and attack it might attack and move it might have some other things it can do and then what's quite unique to the game is then it displays a number of characters who can then act and how many actions they get each and essentially the way they do it is if, if the monster is a relatively weak attack maybe only one player can take their turn and do a couple of actions but if it does a really powerful attack it could be that you get three or four player turns and each of those players gets quite a few activations they can do to represent the fact that the monster's kind of like exerted itself doing a big move and the players have got a little bit of turn to do and i don't know about you jay but i found that really fun that you you never quite knew kind of what was coming next on your turn no, you sort of you could you could try and
3: prepare, you could try and make plans, but nothing always it didn't always go your your way. Like you say, those sort of um, time cards that you drew at the end of a, a player turn can sort of mix things up a bit. Um, yeah, it's really really cool. I think he did a really really good job of sort of like a, quite a high tempo, backwards and forwards to and fro of a battle. You know, it, it's yeah. going well. It's going well. And something happens. Oh, it's not going so well. It's not going so well anymore. We need to pull it back. You know. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good. I thought.
2: One one of the kind of taglines of the games is that when things go bad, they go really bad, don't they? <laughs> and you you haven't really got many kind of like you could, uh, I guess, gimmies to kind of get out of there, have you? Well, you yeah, you you could really probably
3: take one one hit from from the monster. You could maybe maybe absorb a blow with some armor, but that was it. Then you were down. You couldn't take too many hits from these things. Um. And the way you sort of had to avoid dying was to was to dodge, wasn't it? To, to, to dodge, evade these attacks. Of course, that would cost you, in terms of, you know, the cards in your hand and the abilities and things that you would be looking to play. You may be in your hand building up a combo that you might want to try and use on your turn, but then you have to sort of sacrifice some of your cards to dodge out of the way of some of these attacks. And, of course, the monster as well, as you as you started chipping into his health um and as, as the battle went on his deck would get you know the, the abilities the monster was using would get a bit more <laughs> um uh tougher and uh more powerful
2: yeah i think it's, it's from the games i've played it's one of the best examples of capturing that feeling of fighting a boss in a video game it's basically got the we've all played you know monster final fantasy stuff where the boss suddenly goes into like a rage mode and at that point probably party's probably dead but you might be able to get a scrappy win out of it and and like you say they've got they've got two decks the normal deck and then when you start running out of time it goes on to the red deck where the abilities get way 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 more powerful um one well, of the things I really liked was how they represented stamina. So you mentioned like dodging and again if we think to the video game analogy where you might be like rolling around this monster trying to find your opening to attack. But in those games you've normally got a resource like stamina to manage, and if you just roll around, you run out of stamina, then you're gonna get hit. And they did a really good way of representing this on the on the tabletop. You've got a tracker in front of you, and there's slots for five cards. Every ability that you play fills a slot on that but every card that you play to dodge fills a slot on there too and that represents your kind of stamina pool once you filled it out you, you can't play any cards you have going to waste a turn waiting for that kind of stamina track to kind of regenerate now there's obviously abilities and cards you can do to kind of manage that better and i think if we played it again we'd have a better idea of like how to manage your stamina because i think for turn one i was dodging all over the place and then i couldn't really you board was four, wasn't turn. it, then to put yeah, cards exactly. down? Yeah. But then, likewise, they also had this combo mechanic where you, ideal situation for you, Jay, was like your track halfway full because a lot of your strong cards already needed some cards on the board in order to play them.
3: Yeah. You had to, yeah, that's it. You had to think like a turn or two ahead to try and make sure you were in that position to use those sort of fourth and fifth slot on your stamina board but of course that could all be thrown up in the air if the monster decided to (laughs) target you or you know a time card sort of mix things up a bit and you'd you'd have to react and adjust your plans on the fly which is also good as well I like that you know you you had to think each turn about what you were going to do you you know there wasn't like a a sure thing that was going to go off in three turns time so that yeah, really, and it was a really,
2: cool. a really good example where exactly that happened. You'd set yourself up with the cards on your board and the cards in your hand to do a ton of damage to this monster, hadn't you? Yeah. yeah. And you drew the time card, and I, I can't remember what happened, but oh, it, I think oh, you got yeah. a free attack or something. And you basically had to misread, misread, Miss yeah, 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 that's it. Because we we had an idea that it was we we I think we were using me as a bait, weren't we? Yeah. But then. We'd we'd misread the signs and actually the monster was going for the the closest person, which unfortunately was Jay stood behind it ready to strike it with his sword and basically had to spend all your good cards to just stay alive, didn't you?
3: That was it, yeah.
2: So really, really fun game. Um, One new thing that they've added to uh, Iceborne, though, is that sometimes during a game, another monster enters the battlefield. Turf Wars, yeah. Turf Wars, yeah. So if you think kind of like godzilla films kaiju films there's always a bit where the monsters are fighting each other and again we see it in monster hunter iceborne the video game they've they've captured this within the board game and both the monsters in addition to the players will see each other as enemies so with positioning and and being clever with it you can make the monsters start fighting each other but obviously these are massive beasts that do a lot of collateral damage so Unfortunately, we, we very nearly killed our monster. I think it was down to like five health. But I just got caught in the blast from the new monster that had charged onto the field, and alas, I uh I died, losing us the game. Yeah, but... I mean that
3: that that's a good thing actually. They do really they did a, they've done a great job, I think, of sort of uh, the scale of these fights. These are like gigantic beasts that you're fighting. The models themselves are quite impressive, and I think they showed one of the, an elder dragon. Um, and it wasn't even a full size version of the model. The model was going to be bigger. It was huge. So it dwarfs the hunters that are on the board. Um, but it's not only the, the, the visual sort of scale of the thing. You mentioned there where you were caught in sort of like collateral damage, weren't you? And you can just imagine these big beasts sort of swinging their tails and claws and wings and things around and just catching like, you know, just like an insignificant target underneath their massive sort of uh, claws and things and feet. Um, yeah. and you just took the damage you were even the target of the attack were you but you
2: no. just happened to take the damage yeah so another core cool thing was the fact that again just like the video games there's the, the monsters have got various weak points that if you focus enough power on them and break those points you can reduce their effectiveness or or gain additional effects and again that led to us after the first few turns really thinking about which flank of the monster we were fighting because yeah. it made sense for us to all like work together and focus. So I think it is it is absolutely a, a cooperative game. I think if you don't work cooperatively, you're not going to get very far. Um, which also goes to kind of like the turn order as well. So we mentioned earlier that depending on what cards drawn, everyone might be able to act, or only a few people can act. But they've got a really nice mechanic in there where everybody needs to do something until you know everyone can do something else again. So you could end up thrown off with a funny turn order, where the person who's on their last legs and has got a full stamina track has to go, even if Jay's got better cards. So again, from that whole kind of thinking a few turns ahead, you've really got to kind of plan out what you're going to do on the board.
0: That that all sounds very very cool, and actually, um, it sounds a bit cooler for me because I, I did actually play quite a bit of uh, Monster World and some of the old Monster Hunters, particularly on the on the on the 3DS um excuse me if I, I missed this part but um is are there any kind of upgrades and stuff you can get for your characters
2: yeah so essentially you there's an end goal of a specific monster that you're trying to hunt and that can either be the monster in the in the core box which i think off the top of my head there's four monsters in the core box and then there's a number of expansions that are going to be available at the same time mm. um but you could head straight to that monster It'd be very foolish and you'd probably die. So, what again, just like Monster Hunter, the idea is that you as a team work out your next feasible target. So, you then hunt that monster, you get the resources, and you can use the resources to then craft new weapons. Mm. The monster that you're hunting might do, I don't know, heavy ice damage. So maybe yeah. your initial goal is working your way through the monsters to hunt something that lets you craft stuff that makes you resistant to mice damage. Again, just like the video games. And I think yeah. that, that was an element, obviously, that we didn't see at the event because we were playing like a mid-campaign mission. But I can see how, if we were playing as a group, we'd probably want to plan out what we want to do to get everyone geared up before we attempt to take on the end boss.
0: I like that. That that feels very... I mean, that that is really the main... One of the main draws for a lot of people of Monster Hunter is the the grind of killing the same monster over and over again to collect the materials you need to craft the exactly. armor that gives you that resistance so you can go and take on the big the next big monster um and so on and so forth. So I really like that. Um, it does sound like quite a unique um game really. It was, it was not a not like fun. a board game I played before.
2: No, it was it was it was a lot of fun. I think if you had a group that kind of worked well together you did. You have a great time. I think um, they said what about half an hour to an hour if you maybe knew what you were doing to play through yep. it.
3: Can you get a couple of sort of hunts in in an evening?
2: Like you say, Dave, if you like farming some gear or something, you could maybe take on the, the, the same monster yeah, a couple of times within a night, and then the following week maybe try and hunt something a bit tougher.
0: I really like that. Do we know what comes in the launch in, in the actual board game box?
2: I think there was four monsters wasn't there, in the box and eight hunters was there, something like that. Da, 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 da.
3: Right, so in the core box shape we got four monsters. And then there was the expansion, which was absolute power, which had four other monsters in it. And then there was the heroes arsenal, which added a load more heroes. Um and then some other features and Matt which we've not talked about are mantles was a new feature the clutch claw was another feature
2: they added yeah well let's let's talk about it then so so mantles are kind of like again taken straight from the video game kind of one use items that give you a little bit of an edge in a battle so my the one that my character had for example if i did damage to a monster i could immediately get some resources so even if we fight fighting something particularly big I can try and get some goodies off it straight away. What was your mantle, Jay? Uh,
3: my mantle saved my life because it um, basically I could um, use it to um, improve my dodge um, number for a turn. So a lot of these sort of attacks that were coming your way required a dodge value of five, I found. And of course, you've only got five slots on your stamina board. And most of the cards in your sort of ability deck give you a dodge of, of one more likely than not or two. Um, so that being able to just add a, I think it was two or three extra dodge um, was really really handy
2: yeah well what I thought good was well is that every player is assigned a threat value so again think MMOs and stuff certain characters will draw aggro more than others so in the case of a tie the monster will go towards the, the the player with the highest threat. But there were some cards in the game that would then switch the the threat. Hiding in a bush would reduce your threat. You you managed to survive a turn hiding in a bush, didn't you, Jay? <laughs> no,
3: no, I wasn't hiding in a bush. I was ambushing the monster. Ambushing the monster from a tactically uh, opportune uh, area of terrain. <laughs>
2: so yeah really really fun game so it, it gutted that we didn't kill it we very nearly took it down and immediately after i just wanted to play another game again i don't know about you jay
3: oh yeah i <laughs> I really really liked it and um i mean you, you, we said that like you, you've got the four monsters in the in the the main box and then there there was a i think uh an expansion first expansion absolute power which had four more monsters in and these monsters were all uh, they had like their own sort of different mechanics. So, you mm-hmm. had some monsters that sort of interact with terrain. There was a monster that interacted because obviously, you, you know, it's like an a ice waste and sort of snowy battlefields that you're fighting over that interacted with that kind of terrain. Um, there was one, I think, that put like whirlwinds down that could. Uh, they kept joking, didn't they? All these mechanics are, are really, really bad for the hunter. <laughs> really, really yeah. bad for the hunter. Um, well the uh, the, they
2: mentioned that it, it, there was like frozen pools on the board and it kind of moved between the different pools again. Yeah. I think like classic video game mechanics. It's it is really quite cool. There was yeah. um, the yeah. yeah, the
3: boulders as well. Yeah, because once there was some in this um sort of narrative build up to the to the hunt itself where you're going through this choose your own adventure. Um they sort of alluded to the fact that you might get some equipment or items in there that might help you in certain battles. And they said, you know, you may need earplugs when you're fighting this particular monster with a shrieking mechanic.
2: Yeah. it's. It, I think it's one of those where it is really reward a big playthrough, And obviously if you pick up the additional packs and stuff, that just expands the, the range of monsters that you can fight and again if you've got the existing monster in the world you could go and fight one of those monsters and 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 you know get some resources essentially that's how you level up getting better gear one thing that we haven't mentioned is that the, the, each of the weapons has a unique deck so as you um kind of you know switch through those you'll have different values within that deck we, we've chatted to jamie and he's saying that there's a lot of like maths behind the scenes to to make yeah. sure things are as balanced as possible. While one class might be, you know, heavy on damage, they might not quite have the defensive abilities that the tank has. We equally though, the tank's got some cool things. Like I on a five plus I could, you know, ignore saved the damage. We saved our saved our hunt, didn't it? Yeah. But majority I think I had a few damage too, but most of my stuff was damaged one. So I wasn't really very reliable for killing the monster just getting its attention and, and staying alive so yeah it's I'm, I'm really excited to check it out now unfortunately it's a little bit while away obviously the kickstarter starts in may and i think the estimated release date is um next year but yeah, they did because, say you know sometimes things go quicker sometimes things go later they've done a few kickstarters now and they'll be trying to get it out as soon as they can but i think was it august next year jay um
3: yeah so it was may 18th wasn't i think was the um the launch of the kickstarter um and then yeah, um, I think it was quarter three, quarter four, but don't quote me on that for the um uh, release twenty twenty four when they're they're hoping to sort of start fulfilling it. Um but yeah, you made a good point there, 'cause um Steamforge Games, they um they've released a lot of games and um Bard was one and Bard Sung was a Kickstarter that actually was fulfilled ahead of schedule. So who knows?
2: Yeah, obviously we on the other side of um COVID now, so hopefully stuff like that is a lot quicker but yeah i want to say massive thanks to steamforge as well for inviting us down really really cool event and and ace having it at, at um chill factory as well we uh we went out on the balcony and uh the the, the minus four <laughs> weather inside the uh the ski slope it was uh yeah it, it, it helped us cool down after uh getting a bit hot and bothered fighting a massive monster you
0: take your big coats
2: <laughs> no, surprisingly not. Surprisingly not even not even too thin ones.
0: <laughs> no way. Um, you guys have just made me want to pick up Monster on the Switch and, <laughs> and give that a go. It's been a while since I played Monster. That's uh, great stuff. So um, yeah, make sure you check out the the video. We will put a link in the description for this podcast so you can check out the full interview that Jay and Matt uh, mentioned uh, at your own leisure. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to seeing that Kickstarter launch we are not done yet and before we get to this week's top three we've got one more segment to get through and that is a quick chat about the seraphon so we'll be right back once again So with the army set now on pre-order, uh, Jay, do you want to sort of take us
3: a little bit through the Seraphon battle tome? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so um, this battle tome, the first thing when I was looking through the battle tome, it's really um, a battle tome di- divided into two. You've got the Starborn Seraphon, who are these are the sort of celestial, um, arcane, eldritch type Seraphon that travel between the stars and teleport around and, and all this kind of thing. Um, and then you've got the Coalesced Seraphon, which are the, they've gone native, you know, they've got more of an attachment to the physical realms. They're building and defending temple cities in steaming jungles and things like this. So you're more traditional sort of lizard men type um, Seraphon. And um, when you're building a Seraphon army, you choose whether you want to build a Starborn army or a Coalesced army. And um, each of those two sort of um, types of army, they've got their own um, allegiance abilities. So they've got their own um battle traits, enhancements, artifacts, command traits, that kind of thing. So, um, and on top of that, you get two is it two, yeah, I think it's two sub-fractions, um, for each, um, uh, type of army as well. So these are like your storm hosts. Um, they are storm hosts, aren't they, for the, for the, hmm. age, uh, for the storm Yeah. Quest, yeah. Um, so your, your starborn sort of Seraphon, um, They've got um, some some really cool uh, mechanics. Um, the, the first one is the most interesting one, I think, is this cosmic power mechanic. So certain units in your army, um, like the Astrolith banner bearers and, the, and your wizards, um, and also when you're casting um, spells, you're generating these cosmic power points. Um, and then in your hero phase, you get to spend those cosmic power points, but not just on summoning Seraphon, which is what traditionally you would do with that sort of mechanic, that, that sort of resource. Um, you can still do that. You can still summon Seraphon um, and there's all different kinds of Seraphon units that you can summon to the battlefield. Um, but you also get access to some other abilities. Um, so, for example, for 10 cosmic power points, you could use the protection of the old one's ability, um, which would sort of enhance um your Astrolif uh banner bearer's um healing sort of uh ward save um uh, uh ability that he has. Uh, or you might want to spend um five CP uh, CCP sorry cosmic um power points um to return some slain models to friendly friendly starborn units around the battlefield. Um so it's a really really cool resource that you're sort of building up and managing over the over the course of the game. Um, of course the starborn teleportation and that kind of thing is is their sort of jam so you get all sort of different ways for for deploying seraphon units from reserve on the battlefield or picking seraphon units up and redeploying them during the game. Um, so that's the starborn. Um the coalesced on the other other hand, I these I think these are my favorites. So these are um the more sort of physical um you know uh native type lizard men and the focus here is, is really on on getting into melee they're a bit better at fighting they're a bit more resilient to damage uh they've got this scaler skill ability which reduces um the uh, damage that the Saurus croc score and monster units take by one um all of your, well, a lot of your sort of Seraphon units, your Saurus-type units, your Crash Core, they can make additional attacks after they've fought. So they fight with their melee weapons, and then they get to make um, uh, an additional attack with their jaws. And you coalesce um, Seraphon, get bonuses to those jaw-type attacks. Um, and then in place of this sort of uh, cosmic uh, PowerPoint mechanic that the the, the Starborn have, um, the coalesce get um, a unique sort of um monstrous rampage table to use so each of the different sort of monsters in the seraphon army your bastilladons your stegadons your carnosaurs they get some additional monstrous rampages that they get access to um and um i i think i, I just double check my notes here but i think they can use an additional monstrous rampage as well from that list um really sort of playing um, i think that's a lot behind one of the two
0: uh, they call them constellations, but I think you, um, yeah, like the sub factions, storm yeah. hosts. Yeah, yeah, there it is. The thunder lizards at the end of the charge phase, you can carry out two monstrous I, uh, rampages instead of one.
3: Cool, yeah. Um, so, so, so it's really cool. So, you know, two different ways there to build your army, and then you can further sort of, um, uh, customize them through the different constellations or sub factions, which give you, uh, uh, you know, different bonuses or, or, or give you different battle line options. Um, and then um yeah the the actual sort of unit roster is all the war squirrel roster, there's been a few changes. So a lot of the um well all of in fact um of the old so you um, cold or nights they've gone. Uh, there's a few skink characters and things that have disappeared. Your Razodons and Salamanders are, are not there anymore. Um but of course in their place we get some really, really cool stuff. So you get the new Raptoron units, um and my personal favourite are the Agrodon Lancers. Um and the um the um um, um scar veteran as well on the on the um Agrodon. Um so scar veteran Agrodon, So this these are the new sort of replacements for the Cold One Knights, the Cold One Riders. And, and these guys are fantastic. So they've got, as you'd expect, a really, really sort of mean melee profile with the weapons of the Saurus Warrior on riding on this on this Velociraptor, and then the Velociraptor itself, the Agrodon itself. But they've also got a really, really cool Primal Rage mechanic, um, and it's going to be really, really fun to try and mess around with this. Really. So basically, uh, they get a lot of attacks on their profile anyway, and then um, as long as they're um, um, uh, Within three inches of an enemy unit, um, and I think this happens uh, either at the beginning of each combat phase or the end of each combat phase. It basically increases this primal rage counter for the unit, and it goes from zero up to three. And then basically, when they fight, they get to make an additional. Uh, the the, the, the agrodons that they're riding get to make an additional um, number of attacks equal to that primal rage counter. The second you sort of end your combat phase outside of three inches of a um, of an enemy unit, it resets to zero. Hmm. So you, you want to really keep them fighting all the time to, to keep this rage score increasing and then getting these extra attacks, which I think is a really, really fun mechanic. And it's going to be really interesting to see how people are able to manipulate that. Because obviously if they're fighting, it, they're most likely killing the things they're fighting and that takes them out of combat. Um, of course, there's lots of teleportation shenanigans that the Seraphon get access to, and I think we'll see lots of combos with wizards. Sort of, they're fighting, they get picked up, they get placed somewhere else, you know, and they're always within three inches of an enemy unit. I think that's really, really sort of fun mechanic. And um, I mean, the Agrodon Lancers themselves are really, really powerful, but the the Scar Veteran on agrodon I, I think when I was looking at him, he, he, he gets more attacks than the, than the uh, the old blood on the Carnosaur. So, um. <laughs> yeah, I'm just actually looking at
0: his um, war scroll. And um, he's also got a really cool. It's not a command ability; it's just an ability on his profile uh, that once per battle he can increase your rage score by one uh, to to a friendly Agrodon unit, which is
3: which is very cool. Yeah, there's lots of synergy there between the between those units, uh, and there's lots of synergy actually throughout throughout the the battle terms. So the new Raptorons, the Skink sort of Raptor Riders, they've got some really cool. Um, uh, abilities. So there's like a ranged version of them with these sort of like uh, big javelins that they throw and then there's the 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 lancers that that, that or the hunters that they cho- that, that um, the more melee focused unit and basically what you can do is is if if you keep these units close together and working in tandem uh, the the sort of melee unit can charge into an enemy unit and then a nearby ranged unit is able to shoot that unit in the combat phase or in the charge phase. Um <laughs> and then if uh, an enemy unit had been targeted with a range attack by that uh, by another Raptor unit. The Raptor units in combat get bonuses in melee, so you, you're using them to sort of, uh, you know, hunting packs really to target enemy units and, and sort of trigger those bonuses on each of us war scrolls, which is I thought also quite cool. um The other thing that I mean, when I was initially, if you just look at the war scrolls themselves, you probably be a bit not disappointed, but you may be thinking, "Oh, there's not a lot of rend on a lot of these attacks." Um, mm. And if you look at like the Stegodon, for example, rend one on all of the Stegodons' attacks, which seems a bit strange. Um, but there's lots of ways to sort of manipulate the rend or at least armor saves on enemy units and things like that, so you can sort of simulate or emulate higher rend values. Mm. I mean, there's there's spells that reduce uh, an enemy unit save by one the spells that switch off ward saves for enemy units. Um, so I, I I don't think you can look at the war scroll and that gives you the full picture. You have to use all of the tools in the book to get the most out of these units. Um, there's also some spells in here as well that, you know, give you a lot of uh, more wounds potential. Um, there's spells that give you almost like Lumen F type, um, some metal rules on your weapons um and then there's spells which just are, are great at like thinning out whores, basically roll a dice for every model in an enemy unit in the enemy unit on a five plus it inflicts a mortal wound with no cap, you know? So you know big unit of sixty zombies, Dave, that you took against Matt, potentially mm. taking twenty mortal wounds from 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 those mm. kinds of spells. Um and then the the last unit I want to really talk about um because I I really really like this unit as well is the the spawn of Chotex. So this is the razor the salamander type um new unit. The, the Matt knows what the technical term is for it. The dio or something or other. It's got the big fin on it. Um this is got
2: something.
3: On. That's him. You're talking dinosaur <laughs> he's got, words. <laughs> he's, got, he's got some really cool um uh, ability so it basically has two different range profiles that you can use and you get access to both of them the first thing you can do is you can use the stream of flame um which hits on a two plus and makes a number of attacks equal to the number of models in the target unit so it's wounded on a three plus ren minus two so it's got quite good rend damage one so this is what you're targeting at big hordes of um you know big horde units i think there's a maximum amount of hits you can do is 10 i think um but it's great for thinning out hordes if, however, you're coming up maybe against um, um, Varangard-type armies or elite Stormcast armies where you know you don't really want to use the Stream of Flame anymore, you can then switch to the Glob of Flame Acid, um, which is only a single attack, but if it manages to inflict any wounds, um, the, the target unit suffers a minus one save penalty for the rest of the turn. So mm. you can really, really um, throw a spanner in the works of your enemy's plan. Um There's 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 lots of debuffing ability in the codex uh, battle tome. Sorry, Um, there's a um, ability you can use to switch the rend of an enemy unit to nothing uh, until the next hero phase. Which you know you've got like arcane charging in. I don't know what the rend is on his weapon. It's now rend nothing um, (laughs) for potentially two two battle rounds, depending on when you manage to get
2: that ability off. That's really powerful, especially with the prevalence of like you know. The, the the jump between like lots of rend and and lots of save stacking, just being able to turn off um, rend entirely. Save stacking isn't really an issue, then, is it? You're uh, you're not taking any damage.
3: No, exactly. That's it. And and uh, I mean, even the, the uh, certainly in the coalesced um, sort of the faction, I think they can be quite resilient. So you you Saurus guard, uh, sorry, you sorus warriors. They've got two wounds now and, and a four plus save. Um, so it's pretty pretty tanky, and especially if you don't have to worry about the opponent's rend because you've just switched it off. Um, they also get an extra one um, to their save, plus one to their save if they're contesting an objective. So they now want a three plus save next to an objective. You know they're reducing the damage they take by one uh, to a minimum of one as well. Um, so yeah, I, I I really like the battle term. I I I think it's it, it's quite a strong battle term if I'm honest.
0: My uh, my first impression, probably agree with that, Jay. I think it is going to be quite a strong. But I mean, you you picked out the one thing I did. And that's the, the Soros Warriors being very tanky on objectives. They're going to be they're going to be fairly hard to shift, aren't they?
3: Yeah, and then, and there's ways to bring models back. There's ways to increase the save that they're getting. Um, there's lots of ways, like I say, to debuff enemy units as well to make enemy units less effective. And then there's lots of ways to like give them plus one to hits so... or. Plus one to wounds and things like this. And then, of course, you can just teleport them around as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 you mentioned that you quite like the coalesce. I think my
0: favorite actually the starborn. And I think one of the main reasons for that is the, is those cosmic powers that you mentioned. Yeah. And I really like the idea of that. And the more and more I play Sigma, the more and more movement is like one of the most important phases in the game. And I think having those free teleports, that's, that's going to be really fun to use to, grab objectives and stuff
3: yeah so we've got the um full written review up on the website you'll be able to go and read that now that's that's up there um and then i'm just looking forward really for i mean this this is the army set now we're not sure yet when the rest of the range is going to be up for pre-order um but i really can't wait to add some agrodon lancers um to the army really I was gonna say, is that is that the unit you're most looking forward to? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, a couple of units of Agrodon Lancers and a Scar Veteran on a, on an Agrodon. Uh, mm-hmm. Another couple of units of Saurus Warriors and maybe a Choglodon as well. Uh, Matt and Andy, before we wrap up, did
0: you guys want any feedback?
2: Yeah, I and mean, it's uh, my interest really is on the model point of view rather than. But it sounds really strong battle tome, and I think it's going to do well. But uh, model wise, do you think there's uh, much potential for using these in the Old World, Jay?
3: Well, we were talking about this in the in the in the WhatsApp. It might be something we could probably talk about in the Discord channel as well. See what people think actually with some of the recent Age of Sigma releases. Um, and I think you made a good point earlier on, Matt, where the the Saurus Warriors at least they are on the thirty-two round bases now, and you can sort of rank these up next to each other on those bases. And if there's some sort of movement where you can put them in. Um, I think they will look really really good. Uh, I've built mine with the spears as well. Now, there's no sort of spears held upright, which you used to traditionally get with the old Warhammer Fantasy stuff. These guys are all a bit more aggressive looking and a bit more dynamic, but I don't think that's a bad thing. For you know what, they are beasts after all. Mm-hmm. um it, It's a fully plastic range now, and I think a lot of the units would would certainly stand in for some of the other for some of the older Warhammer Fantasy units. But we don't know the, the, the Warhammer Fantasy they may get a, an updated roster of units in Warhammer Fantasy as well for Men. So you know you. Uh, what were they? The co- not Cold One Riders. What were they called? The Raptor? Oh, what were they? The, the skinks skinks on the Raptors. No, Skinks on Raptors. Were they Cold Ones? No. There was a unit know, one, a regiment uh, regiment, of, regiment of re- renowned. <laughs> but you could definitely use the Raptodons in place of them. You know, the new spawner Chotec could certainly pass for a Salamander in the lizardman Army.
1: <laughs> um yeah i mean yeah for me i've i've played seraphon quite a lot and they've always felt like one of those armies that's been super powerful um so for me i'm i'm kind of looking forward to i i, I still think the strength of the book is there i think like jay said there's still going to be a very strong army they've got a lot of options and a lot of different ways to to play you know if you want to go monster mash you can do if you want to go saurus you can do if you want to go magic you can do if you want to shoot you can shoot and i think just from that sort of variety like the scope of this army it's going to make it a very popular army and looking at sort of like the different units and and what they have access to and coalesce and Starborn and stuff like that I think the the replayability is gonna it's gonna be huge, like I think seraphon players realistically are are gonna be in it for the long haul. you know we're gonna play this army we're gonna have four or five thousand points of of seraphon <laughs> and and in that sense that's really good um but i I've played quite a lot of games against them where I've been sort of um it's always felt like I've put a knife to a gunfight <laughs> and looking at this book i I mean only time will tell um but I kind of look at the book and i I feel very much the same as I did in the previous book, where you know they're gonna out magic here, they're gonna shoot you you know stegodons are are still scary, you know they're a solid unit um so yeah i am I'm, I'm excited for it and and I think for seraphon players. The the range refresh and this new battle tome, yeah, I think they've they've nailed it out of the park. But I think as someone who's probably going to be playing against Seraphon, um, I'm a little yeah. Only time will tell. I think
0: excellent. So yeah, uh, make sure you check out Jay's written review over on SpruceAndBruce.com, uh, and I'm sure you'll be posting some working progress shots uh, along the way on on the old social media channels as well, Jay. Yes excellent stuff right uh that brings that segment to a close but it wouldn't be a podcast episode without a top three and that is coming up next So for this week's top three, we're going to be chatting about events, tournaments and shows that we've really uh, enjoyed over the past few years. Who do we pick on first? Let's pick on Matt first. Uh, Matt, what would your top three uh, events be?
2: Well, I think we are going to have some overlap here, but um am interested to see what you guys pick. So I've started with Games Day 2001, which is depressingly 22 years ago but Uh, i remember this really really vividly um it was one of the most memorable games days i went to because two really awesome things got like announced at the show the first was the tau a brand new race for warhammer 40,000. in your little goodie bag going into the show you got a free um sprue of of, of tau and then the the limited model that year was a a shaper who's still an awesome model Mm. really really like that one but the uh the, the big thing was the surprise announcement at the end of the show nobody was expecting it and everyone went wild that games workshop had the license to do a miniatures game based on the lord of the ring movies <laughs> it was it was insane and everyone went crazy and yeah it's just this is a really memorable games day and i can't believe that's like over 20 years ago uh now number two now you're gonna have to keep me honest with this one i think i've got the date down after doing some research but i've gone for games day 2011 now this was a cool show for a number of reasons red fleet was shown off there the uh short-lived board game of naval combat in the warhammer world um they also had T- T- American book there in the in the Chaos Dwarf range, including the new um, like land train. There was new High Elves there. There's quite a few video games presents. But the reason why this one particularly sticks in my mind is that I went to this show with you guys, well Dave and Jay. Anyway, <laughs> we went on the bus. <laughs> we did. We went on the bus, and it was a really fun show. It's um, that was probably the start of all of this, wasn't it? yeah it was really yeah and again that's 12 years ago now as where, well where, i'm feeling very old 2011 2011 how old how uh, yeah wow it, r- roughly i think it was that games day. It it, it, it all blurs a bit after no, like you, 10 years yeah. ago but
3: yeah yeah it may have been a bit earlier than that you know matt yeah how old well that's it blake was born in 2012 so i'm yeah. uh, pretty sure that's, that was a yeah
0: thing. that's I've got a feeling, Matt. It's a lot earlier than that. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah when,
3: absolutely. When was the Dark Elder? When did the Dark Elder get their range refresh? Wasn't it the Dark Elder one?
2: Yeah, it was. It was. It was around. It was a couple of years around about yeah. then. But yeah, it was um, really good show. Of Egypt mostly because uh, yeah, uh, with you guys, and then the rest is history. So yeah, go game get, get day between two thousand eight and two thousand eleven, let's say, somewhere in that period <laughs> of time. Um but number one, I had to go for an event and I suspect this can be on your list too, but I had to include it. And that is um Escape from Pancallis. The first uh narrative event we did it at Warhammer the first crusade event. And it's just the absolute best Warhammer forty thousand we've played. We've we say this many times on the uh on the show but they pulled out all the stops for a really really entertaining fun interactive just awesome warhammer that you could only have at a place like warhammer world
3: <laughs> it was it was um yeah you're right matt there's going to be some overlap there i'm, <laughs> I'm gonna uh, dave i'm doing one of my top three right now so i'm going to two more later but I, I agree matt everything about that event was so so cool um the, the uh, event organizers dressed up as um, gene stealer cultists, and they got more gene stealery as the weekend went on. That yeah. whole sort of mechanic where they were handing out infection cards and all the people we dragged into separate rooms. Oh man, it was so much fun!
2: No, the, the Thunder event nearly made the list. And that's possibly on Dave's top three, but yeah, I think Pancalus is still like numero uno for awesome events at Warhammer World.
0: Well, let's let's go to you next, Jay. What what are
3: your other two from your top three? So, Escape from Pankhalis, believe it or not, was number one, um, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to go to the next sort of crusade event. Um, the 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 second event on my on my list isn't actually a Games Workshop event. That's still okay, isn't it? We can still cover yeah, events yeah, on yeah, yeah, Games Workshop. And then um, I've been uh, for the last few years. We've been going to the board game expo, and we're due to go to the board game expo um again in uh june this year um in birmingham uh, yeah the uk it, it,
2: games expo
3: uk games expo that's right yeah um and games workshop occasionally have a presence there as well and i think one of the years we went was it warhammer 8th edition matt was that announced
2: or eighth edition was announced at the show and yeah we went to a bit of a preview seminar where we saw uh, i think primaris marines for the first time maybe yeah i think we did yeah um and yeah so so i i mean
3: it, it's a really really cool quite a varied sort of event obviously a big focus on board games but also miniature games there's lots of um stalls to pick up like scenery and bits and pieces for your your hobby in general um always packed um i always have a great time now and we go we've been going for the last couple of years quite regularly now haven't we so yeah. um i i'm I, looking forward to, to to going there again in june
2: um, yeah, we will be we will be covering the show again as well this year, and uh, hoping we get some more uh, interviews and stuff in because it is it's always fun to chat to some of the small like indie developers as well.
3: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh yeah, we've 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 snagged loads of interviews and exclusives and things over the years at that, those <laughs> kind of places, aren't we? And uh, so it's a good networking place. Um, the next uh, event on my list is a little a little series of events that I've been to. Um, not far down the road hosted by the purple sparkly unicorns and these are just little 40k in Age of Sigmas I couldn't point to a single one um, but I have to say I've enjoyed them all thoroughly I've enjoyed them as much as the events we go to in the the, the, the sort of tournaments we go to at Warhammer World it's a much more intimate sort of um, event you know there's probably uh, 15 tables max um it's at the same little sort of club that that that, that we go to uh, for club nights as well there's regular faces there and i generally you know sometimes i find you go to a warhammer tournament and it can be quite mentally exhausting you know the halls jam-packed with like you know hundreds of, of players you've got members of the public walking around there's all the noise you're on your feet all day um and it can they are enjoyable. I love doing them, but you can sometimes, you know, you've been to one of those events at the end of the weekend. Yeah. The purple Spark Unicorn ones, I just, I just enjoy from start to finish. And, you know, I, I really enjoy them and catching up with the, the different sort of regulars there and things like that. Um, And I think also, you know, just supporting your local gaming community as well is a good thing. Uh, and I'm sure up and down the country, all across the world, hobbyists have got their sort of local gaming clubs and events that they go to as well.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking for Craig. That's very humbling of you to say, Jay. Because when we set up the club and we started doing the uh, the Purple Swag Unicorn <laughs> events and stuff, that was kind of our aim. We wanted it just to be a an event for people to come down, play some games, roll some dice, and you know, ultimately get to meet people and build up a community in our area, and that's. Yeah, so that that's that's awesome to hear. We appreciate
0: successful, that. Successful mission,
3: Andy.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
3: I'm just looking around my room because we we've got um I got I I love the sort of the you get like the painting nominations and best army nomination think And I've, I want, there's one there's 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 a hand three or four here purple, five purple sparkling unicorn ones. So they are great events, and you get like I mean you've had the wooden spoon, Dave.
1: Thanks,
3: Jay. <laughs> Uh, you are absolutely right, though. I
0: mean, I've, uh, I just, as you said that, then I turned round and my eyes clocked my <laughs> uh, purple sparkling unicorns, um, wooden spoon. But then it also clocked that I was once a sparkly unicorn, which is, um, the equivalent oh, yeah. of, uh, best sporting, basically, I think, Andy, isn't it? Um, yeah,
1: best sports, yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I love the, the unicorn events and, they nearly made my top three. But it was, my top three was quite hard. I, I, I've not been to quite as many events as you guys, but it was still quite a difficult one. In fact, I might as well go into mine. Now, uh, my third choice... Now, I was a bit lazy. I haven't put years down. Um, but my third choice, Matt, was the same Games Day that you were mentioning uh, when mm. we all met up. It's a shame you weren't there as well, Andy. That
1: would have, that you know, all stars would have lined. Andy Cole wasn't born.
3: That's the problem. That's true. Probably yeah. is the well,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: well, when you were saying it, um, I actually think I was on that bus. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, if it's the one because I think Paddy was the manager at the Games Workshop at the time, if I remember right. Yeah, but. Um, um... But yeah, I I think I was on that bus because that's was Ben, the... wasn't it, Dave? I think it was Ben, yeah, oh was that the first one the first Yeah. yes, I was, yeah, 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 I think I was on that bus,
0: mental, so yeah that that absolutely was, I mean, it was a great games day as well, um, not just'cause of you, Matt, um, it was a really good games day, <laughs> um, I really, really enjoyed it. My second event uh, has to be the first ever tournament I've went to, I was super nervous about going to a tournament. I, you know, I thought I'd be a, a mess. I'd forget the rules. I'd be maybe intimidated. Uh, I'm sure lots of people have had exactly the same feelings, and I'm sure that is the main drive why um, Games Workshop do the Thrown Schools doubles because they are such a nice way of getting somebody along to a tournament, um, and rolling some dice. And that was my first ever my first ever gaming um, tournament was a Age of Sigmar. Um, Fronis Falls doubles, I took along uh Legions of the Gash uh, Matt you had Timurkin's Horde Indeed. and we had a great weekend of gaming, now Matt had got a little bit I think he'd been to an event or two before so I had sort of Matt's kind of experience to fall back on uh, and, it, and it was a great couple of days and, and from there you know, that's it. You've got the bug. Then you want to go to more. And, and since then, I've done more competitive tournaments and stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, it, that that was a that was an absolutely brilliant, a brilliant event. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and we, we we actually played with those armies so much, Matt, as well, because we ended up going <laughs> yeah. on Warhammer TV with them as well. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, great times. Uh, my top top event though had to be the War in Thondia. What an amazing narrative weekend! Now I didn't get to go to the Escape to Pankhalis, and I'm sure that would have been in my top three as well had I been. Um, but I did go to the Fundier event. Um, not only did I have five great games of Warhammer, but you had everything else going on in uh, in between. You know, the creation of the relic, the, uh, the 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 sort of map. You know, fighting over the map and territories
2: and stuff um you had the chance of gold being stolen by some low down team led by uh a certain mr steve <laughs> but... <laughs>
0: which i was in i was in that team i'm very proud of that uh I'm still, we had I'm the... still here
2: at Harcler, leader in my sleep <laughs> Dave.
0: yeah it's such a great <laughs> chant we we won best chant of the weekend absolutely um I mean,
2: jumping jump here with it, like a, a 3.5 on my list and this was really hard to, to to not include in my list because it was an amazing event and um i got best sport for the the death faction as well which was fun
0: yeah and your faction one
2: and, and our faction one yeah which is even better yeah really really good event i'm, I'm looking forward to more uh narrative events at warhammer yeah. world
0: yeah me too me too uh andy uh that just leaves your yourself uh, you've probably been to more events than, than all of us combined so this must <laughs> have been pretty hard for you
1: yeah when i was looking back through events and sort of um trying to pick a top three i could have easily picked a top 10 um i, I think i started going to events about 12 years ago now um so yeah i've been to a lot and then yeah, the last couple of years have run a few as well, which which has been good fun. Um for my third choice, um going back to the purple sparkle unicorns, it was actually the event that sparked it all off for us. Um so me, fellow organizer Craig, we went down to an event in Portsmouth um called the South Coast Grand Tournament, um, which isn't running anymore, unfortunately. Um, but it was down in a place called Horndean Technical College. Um, and it was a six game weekend. So it was, it was full on both the Saturday and the Sunday. Um, and we went to a beef eater on the Saturday night. And I was a designated driver because I get, I get travel sickness. And uh, I was basically the only sober one left in the bar at this stage. And, um, one of the guys we were with, his daughter basically sent him a, um, a link to a unicorn name generator. <laughs> and, um, basically it had a purple sparkly unicorn as like one of its logos. And, and yeah, needless to say, I was out vetoed for the name of our club. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that event really did sort of like spark off the, the whole purple sparkly unicorn club um and the event itself was was really fun because it, it's it was kind of i i when i started going to events i was going to events to win uh, you know ultimately that's what i was going for and it was just as i was coming off that high and i was going into a more casual relaxed just rolling dice and have a bit of laugh which i'm kind of at now and yeah i remember taking an army list that was yeah, quite powerful at the time. And um I think I won four out of six games and narrowly lost one of the two games that I, I lost, um, which is the best I've ever done at a tournament from a gaming score. So um, it had a, a a twofer for me for that one. Nice. Um, my second favourite um event I've ever been to was actually one of my first. I think it was my first ever event. Um and funnily enough, it was with Craig again. Um and we went up to Warhammer World for a Warhammer Fantasy campaign weekend. Ooh, and I took my dwarfs because at the time that was all I had. Um and we had to pick a side at the beginning of the event. We could either side with the Bretonnian lord or we could side with a chaos lord invading this Bretonian sort of domain. And as the campaign went on, it was actually revealed that the Bretonian Lord wasn't a Bretonian Lord at all, but he was actually a Vampire Lord, uh-huh. and that the Chaos Lord was—he he was a Chaos Lord now, but he was actually the former Bretonian Lord that the Vampire Lord <laughs> had exiled. Yeah. So the the people who thought they were fighting for good were actually not fighting for good at all and it had uh john bracken um back in the day he was one of the event organizers and he was dressed in this like full um chain mail suit with armor on like a proper sort of like bretonian knight um and I, well, <laughs> I remember i think it got revealed on the saturday night going into the sunday but he was actually a vampire lord and then the next day he came in with like vampire teeth and stuff. <laughs> uh, and, and it was really funny. It was really, really good event. Um, and then my favourite event has to be one that was, um, funnily enough, not at Warhammer World, but still run by Steve Wren. And who's now the sort of event organiser at um, Warhammer World. And he ran an event called Warhammer Achievements. And it was at a, a big event called Blood and Glory here in the UK, run by... Um, Ben Curry from the Bad Dice podcast and stuff Mm -hmm. and the Warhammer achievements was kind of like a more casual laid-back way of playing Warhammer where the gaming aspect was actually very very little because basically you got given a chart of about 80 different achievements to try and complete over the weekend and some of them you could only do like before the event like if you wrote an army list and you sort of like use creative writing and stained it with coffee and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And you really went to town and then the, you got a points for theming your army. You got points for painting it and trying to use different painting techniques. And then um I think the last one they did, you had the option to either play double games or single games. And it was kind of like these tables are for doubles. Once they filled up, that's it for that round. And some of the achievements you could only get if you played like two or three doubles games. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you wanted to, you could just go down and play doubles games all weekend if you wanted to. Or you could go down and play singles events. And it was, it, it was just such a nice, relaxing way of playing Warhammer that no other event had ever done. And so for me, it was very much a case of, um, you know, just going down, having a relaxing weekend, um, with some, some friends. And the venue itself was at a place called the, the roundhouse in Derby. And it was like an old, um, sort of train yard where they used to work on the trains. And the main hall was where the trains would come in on this big turntable and then get serviced in these different bays. And so you had like the Warhammer achievements in the middle of this massive circle. And then you had like the, the Age of Sigma on one side, Heresy on kind of like another part. And then like the Age of Sigma grand tournament on another part. And all those events were like 200 player events, you know, they were huge. The event itself and the venue was amazing. But yeah, but the last Warhammer achievements event they did was, was absolutely phenomenal. So Steve, if you're listening, Good job, buddy. And, uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, your more recent events as well. So, yeah, keep up with good work.
0: Excellent. Excellent stuff. Some really good choices there. I mean, they're, they're so hard. I've been to so many good ones. I can't say I've been to a bad event, I don't think. Um, so that's a quarter of games.
2: Are we On events as well, obviously on the, on the horizon, and this week as this podcast goes out, We've got Warhammer Fest. Are you all, I mean, I'm super looking forward to it. What, what are your guys' thoughts on it? Are you, are you looking forward to it? Are you anxious? Are you a bit concerned? One of the things I didn't notice is the lack of, like, studio presence. It looks like we don't have, you know, members from the studio there chatting to people. But based on what we've seen in the and in the map and the kind of, like, agenda for it, what's everyone's kind of, like, thoughts going into it? I've I've got more
3: excited as it gets closer and closer, especially seeing the agenda go up.
0: I I'm with Jay. Uh, my only hesitation is, um, obviously, these have been scaling up each year. With with COVID, as a bit of a, a, obviously a, a stop a, a gap. Is will it be so busy that you won't be able to kind of fully enjoy it? I mean, that's only really a minor concern because I'm still completely and utterly pumped. But if I had if I had to be super critical, that would probably be my only slight hesitation
2: yeah i worry is this is is obviously the um seeing these sim and seminars it's only 800 seat capacity people are going to be missing out potentially but i'm sure they'll cram in as many people as they can but obviously there's gonna be a lot more people going to the event but equally there's a lot of people at tournaments during the event there's a lot of people painting so it might self-balance itself itself
1: yeah yeah see i'm 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 right there with jay the, the closer we get to it, the more excited we get i i get because i'm i'm looking at and thinking to myself yeah you've got seminars that you can go to which is great and awesome and this the seminars and the previews that you know we're, we're going to get to see old world heresy kill team war cry agency you know it's all this stuff that i'm really really excited about and then you know i've got a war cry event I'm going to you know we've got um uh, I'm going to my first ever sort of painting class to do with bases and stuff like that. Um And yeah, it sounds like there's going to be loads to do. You know, there's a Saturday quiz what we got. That's going to be super yeah. cool. I mean, I'm so glad that I got um, like a three day ticket to it um and we went for the um what was it the grab the, the, bag the lucky the, bag yeah, the, the
2: the the premium entry so as part of that you get all sorts of goodies i was reading the list you get a t-shirt you get two exclusive models you get a tumbler you get some dice quite a few little goodies in this in this um it's kind of like i guess premium ticket it's a little bit more than the standard ticket but i don't know it's just one of those those events where you're going to embrace it, haven't you? Didn't quite yeah. go for the, uh, the the Golden Throne ticket. Where the, what was it? £1,000 worth of models in it or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Americans have got Adepticon and the LVO and all these massive events. And I think it's only right that here in the UK we get an event that sort of rivals that. And I'm hoping that Warhammer Fest becomes that event for us. Yeah. So, oh, sure. so
2: we'll be reporting live. I think we're going to plan on doing a bit of a vlog series which will be new for us so maybe you're filming it from the various points of views and hopefully getting it edited and going out each day if i, if I can if, if i can if my fingers furiously work on the on the keyboard and get those out but at the very least the next podcast will probably be us running on just sugar and excitement <laughs> um, talking about our experiences at warhammer fest
0: excellent stuff right uh, i think it's time to uh, read out the community top three picks we've got one final pause and we'll be right back with that So it is time for the final segment of this week's episode. It's time to read out the community top three picks. Um, we're going to actually start on Discord because, um, just in case you, you missed this, uh, we're now on Discord and we have a, a handy little podcast channel which we've um, popped the top three in. Um, admittedly, I, I only remember to do it today. Um, but we have had a couple people who have responded. Anonymous Rex, he has two. Um, his first one uh, was in London, no idea of the year, had a bit of a game demo sort of session for kickstarter board games was really cool to see all the new ideas i i guess that's a little bit like the uk games expo uh, and his top choice is a local club Age of Sigma tournament. It was my first Age of Sigma tournament. Dived in only after playing two games and had three surprisingly clo- close losses and two games where I got completely battered in turn one. Learned how to smash up ball boys and how annoying techless with 30 spam and securing the, the
2: mm.
0: points uh, first turn is. Um, Then we have Ben, his top three. His third choice is the Throne of Schools 40k event a year or so ago. Great atmosphere and first trip to Warhammer World. His second choice was the recent Thondia Path to Glory event. Lost seven games in a row and loved it. Been playing narrative play since then. And also, um, both me and Matt got to play him as well. We did, Um, yeah. it It was a great weekend. Uh, and then we're going to move over onto Facebook. Brian Dennis, he's, uh, he's just got the two. His second choice was a doubles 40k narrative event at his local club. Really fun event. And his top choice was Games Day. He can't remember the exact year. We, we've had that exact same problem. <laughs> it was at the Birmingham NEC, the year Demon, Demon Engines first came out for Chaos Space Marines. Yeah, that was, um, I think we went to that one actually, yeah. uh, when we saw the Forge Fiend and stuff. Uh, and Andy Sims on Facebook, uh, they're all into Sigmar, such a great event scene. He's gone for the Shropshire Slaughter in Telford as his third choice. The Big Bristol Brawl, uh, shout out to Sigmar's Pilgrims who host, and his top choice is Brotherhood. Wow, what an event. Teams at Warhammer with so many great people. Matt,
2: what do we have over on Twitter? Well, there's someone here on Twitter, so definitely lost in the warp. It says the British Armed Forces 40k GT. Uh, Open to vets, friends of those attending and members of the Allied Forces. Good guys having good games on a social event on a Saturday night. Uh, One of the tournament organisers is even a Warhammer hero. That's rare accolade now, isn't it? TJ Paints Games. uh, The first Warhammer World 40k campaign weekend I went to after a very long break in the hobby. I got best Imperial General. Last, can't remember if it was a match play or throw in the scores at Warhammer World, but I won the Judge's Choice Army Award. And I attended a super duty the other year, one to seven. I loved it. JP Riley, at number three, old school Warhammer Games Day at NEC in Birmingham when they had the Chaos Champ with two axes. That was a really good model. Uh, local GW did a Winter War event a few years back, which is a great fun day of narrative gaming. And the Cambrian Incursion at Atomic Cards first tournament came seventh and won best painted. That's nice. impressive. Chris Frossin at the Warhammer World 40k Heat One back in 2020, just before the pandemic hit, right at the height of the Iron Hands and Imperial Fist domination. I went undefeated with Necrons, Ooh. beating Knights, Custodes, Imperial Fists, Iron Hands, and Grey Knights. Amazing group at those tournaments. So much friendship. Uh, Mark Dewhurst says Warhammer Fantasy Sixth Edition launch party at the local GW store. The 40k Apocalypse League end, a friendly local gaming store, and Games Day 2001 with a coachload of gamers representing GW Bradford carrying a Tau inspired banner, and fa- finally Ricky Kitbashed uh, Warhammer World Savage Lands narrative, the Warhammer World's Midnight Tomb narrative, and the Warhammer World AOS Escalation. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to some coming events. We've got a load coming up and. Uh, yeah can't wait to roll some dice
0: so matt what is next week's top three
2: well it's an obvious one isn't it in a couple of days we'll be going down to uh, warhammer fest so we want to know your top three reveals from warhammer fest
0: you can get your choices in via our social media channels. We will be putting a tweet and a Facebook and a Discord post out. Just as a reminder, shortly before we record the next show, so you can, uh, yeah, get your choices in. It's uh, been a great episode, guys. I'm, I'm enjoying us uh, doing these fortnightly again. Um, but I'll tell you what, I am super pumped for the next one because it'll be a post-Warhammer
2: Fest explosion of awesome. special, <laughs> yeah. I wondered it. I wondered it. Could we do some maybe sprues and brews like live going on? Well, we'll record kind of segments of the podcast throughout. Warhammer Fest.
0: That's that's a good idea. We'll we'll see what we can we'll see what we can do. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an epic weekend. If you are down for the weekend, um, as Matt and Andy have said, they're down the whole weekend. Myself and Jay will be attending on the Monday. Please come and say hello. Um, we're not we're not scary in person at all. Maybe Andy. Um only joking. Uh we're all dead friendly. Come and say hello. Uh, we'll probably be wearing some sort of spruce and bruise attire, so hopefully you'll be able to spot us. Uh, it'd be
2: yeah. great to meet you. We'll also all be down on the Sunday too, so you know, if you are kicking around, we're all there then too. Yes. So, uh that that's it.
0: Um we'll speak to you all again very soon. Have a great time hobbying. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Spruce and Bruce Podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbrews.com and if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruceandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruceandbrews.